Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the What's Next podcast. My name is Tiffany Bova. I will be your host today, and I am joined by the wonderful Bill George. He is the former chairman and CEO of Medtronics. Under his leadership, it had a market capitalization that grew from 1.1 billion to 60 billion. So clearly he did something right. Averaging 35% a year in growth. He has served as a director of Goldman Sachs, ExxonMobil, Target, the Mayo Clinic, and the World Economic Forum in the US, and is currently a senior fellow at Harvard Business School where he has taught leadership since 2004. He's the author of nine books with his most recent Emerging Leaders edition of his True North series. So welcome to the show, Bill. Tiffany, thank you for having you on your show. Well, great. Well, we're going to jump right in. I, I do something called um, Bullish and Bearish. It kind of just gets a juices flowing. Nothing too painful, I hope. Uh, bullish is your for it. Bearish is your against it. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. The first one, bullish or bearish, AI as a sitting member of the board of directors. Uh, concern, bearish. Okay. We'll take that. We'll take that. All right, the next one, a company offsite in space, bullish or bearish? <laughs> bearish. Oh, even too bearish. Wow. Okay. Well, too old-fashioned, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're going to be like, let's go for an offsite and pick someplace, you know, no one's been before, let's pick space. That's expensive. Yes. All right. And the next one, an MBA focused exclusively on leadership. Uh, bullish, for sure. Yes, I agree. All right. Well, hopefully those weren't too painful. Those weren't too painful, but, but let's get that started on, uh, you were, you were concerned on AI sitting member of, of the board of directors. You know, it's just sort of a fun question, but you know, we talk a lot about where and how AI may enhance, um, leadership and decision-making. And so, you know, what, what do you think, uh, your quick bearish was, uh, that response was, was based on? That artificial intelligence could be misused uh, in ways that harm people. We're seeing that on social media a lot. And so uh, I'm not totally against AI. I just want it used for, for good purposes. And also to realize in the end, it's not going to eliminate people. Certainly not going to eliminate leaders. We need leaders who lead with their heart, that have intuitive skills, uh, courage. Those are not qualities of AI. Yeah, I would agree. I think that it is a good partner, but, you know, just a data source versus, you know, actually taking it to your point, right? Taking everything that it says as as face value. So, look, I, I know you have written a ton about leadership uh, and have been a you know very successful leader yourself. And, and now, obviously, you taught for many years at Harvard. But I'd love to hear your definition of leadership. Leading is... Uh inspiring people around a noble cause, a noble purpose. And do you think that that noble purpose, there's a leading question, but do you think that that noble purpose has shifted a little more heavily towards capitalism, right? And the sort of the profit side of that leadership versus kind of the purpose side of, of leadership? I clearly thought that was true in my uh, 1990s when I was the CEO. I thought there was way too much folks on maximizing shareholder value. When I came, uh, concluded my uh, 10, 12 years at uh, 13 years total at, at Medtronic, I decided, what am I going to do now? Because uh, I was in my late 50s. And I decided I wanted to focus on transforming leadership around the idea of authentic leaders to get away from ego-driven leaders who are all about themselves, 
and strictly wanted to maximize their own personal income. To get to new leaders who uh, want to make a difference in the world around a common purpose and get people aligned around that purpose and a set of values. And I, I have to say, it's one of the conversations I have quite often. I think people intuitively, well, I believe people intuitively agree with what you just said. And and let's let's look at this from two sides. I, let's start with a publicly traded company because that's a little more obvious, right? That you'll have a leader who's in a publicly traded company who obviously has shareholders and they're beholden to them. And if they have been a profit-driven company, which there's nothing wrong with, with profit, it's not what I'm saying, um, but they want to be more human-centered, right? They want to sort of turn the corner like someone like a Paul Pullman at Unilever or someone like a Uber Jolie at Best Buy, right? Where they're really saying, look, I really want to align myself to purpose and I'm a publicly traded company, but I have to balance the two and I necessarily don't know how to do that. What, what do you say to them? Uh, it's not balancing, that it's uh, more like a mathematical equation. If you create uh, genuine value for your customers, that's what motivates your employees. And that in turn creates sustainable shareholder value. I'm not a fan of short-term shareholder value that gets run up way up and then comes crashing down like Enron or like most recently FTX did. I think leaders create sustainable shareholder values by creating superior value for their customers. And honestly, we've misunderstood what motivates our people. Uh, the mass, the frontline people are ones doing the work. They're motivated by service. They're not motivated by uh, money because they think the money's all going to go to the top anyway. Well, I, I would agree with you. I, I would agree with you. And, I, and I'd say that, you know, I've just spent the last two and a half years doing global research on the connection between happy employees to happy customers leads mm -hmm. to greater growth. And that's, I'm not the first to say that obviously. Uh, I'm sure you said it along the way as well. But but we actually were able to look at direct correlation and causation between what are the attributes of happy employee, satisfied, engaged, and what do they need in order to provide that compelling experience for customers so that the company can get growth. And what was surprising to me was there was such a massive disconnect between the C-suite and the employees on what's actually happening in the company. <laughs> Like, you know, the CC thinks it's one thing and employees are like, I don't know what you're doing every day, but this is what we're experiencing. Do you, do you see that, that that gap has potentially gotten larger or broader? And, and if so, why? CEOs are spending all their time in meetings with direct reports and uh, in their conference room looking at PowerPoint charts. And we did a study at Harvard. We found they spent 72% of their time in high level meetings and only 5% with their employees and 3% with their customers. If you, How do you know what's going on if you're not in the marketplace, so you're not out with your customer, your employees, if you're not talking to people on, in the production lines, back in the engineering labs, the people really doing the work. And uh, I think one of the qualities for any good leaders have passion for the business. And if you don't have that, if you just have passion for the money you're going to make, you're never going to be successful today. You need to connect with your employees. You need to be out in your retail stores, in the hospitals, in wherever business is done, that's critical. And I think CEOs have lost sight of that. And I think it's critical that they get back focusing on their frontline people that are the ones in touch with the customers, exactly what you proved in your operation. So why are employees unhappy? Because we've lowered the compensation for our frontline people. All the money's gone to the top. This is wrong. We need to adjust that very quickly. Yeah, I think the stat in 2022 was like, 
I'm going to I'm do this from memory. So don't anybody quote me, but it was like 275% difference between a front line and the executive sort of average on the publicly traded, you know, sort of fortune 500 companies where, you know, and as you said, though, part of this is compensation, but the other is, you know, I want you to invest in me. I, I come here to, you know, have purpose as well. And if you're going to support me um, and give me the tools I need and the, you know, investment in my career development and all that, then, then I'll be far more engaged and capable of doing the things that we sort of promise out to the street. Would you agree? hundred percent. And I think too many executives looking at employees as a cost rather than an asset. I said to a company of 300,000 employees the other day, your, your whole value of company, which is considerable, people walk, the asset walks out the door every, every night. So are you building them and are you developing them? Are you sending them back to get educated? Are you uh, continuing to develop your people at all levels? Otherwise, they'll be obsolete if we don't keep learning. That's why I love Satya Nadella and Microsoft. He said, we've got to be not know-it-alls, but learn-it-alls. How do we continue learning from our clients and from each other so we can build a better enterprise? That is the key. And so I think we need to shift this mentality and look at our employees as our greatest asset. And if you don't maintain an asset, it's going to trip. And so you need to, to build it up. So I see companies laying off people at 55 early retirement program, get them out, replace them at 75. Yeah, but they don't have the experience. They don't have the knowledge, they have the wisdom. If you want to know what's going on, the quality of a Medtronic product, go talk to frontline production people. They'll tell you. They know exactly. You don't have to talk to the quality firm. I think that's true for companies all over. Well, you know, it, and, and I couldn't agree more. And here is the pushback I hear. I'd love to hear your response, right? Sometimes I'll hear, and, and, and to what I was saying earlier on this balance, and you say rarely it's a balance, is it's the tension between making the investment for the customer, right? If I spend a dollar here for the customer, I get, you know, I spend X, I get Y back. If I spend X on employee, I'm not sure what Y back is. And so a lot of what I hear is that ROI of investment into employee is much harder to, to I guess, show then, you know, outside of the attrition, right? Well, they're leaving or we're retaining more or we're a great place to work. But what would you advise to executives who really want to start to focus more on employee to all the reasons we've just discussed? What are those key metrics you would suggest they look towards um, to understand that value equation uh, besides the obvious on the attrition and, and really recruitment side? I think it's intuitively evident that the highest return on IRA ROI is investing in employees. It doesn't cost much. Uh, building a plant for $10 billion costs a lot of money. Uh, you can spend, you know, a billion dollars on a new pharmaceutical product, may not come out. But that investment in employees, we're talking millions, hundreds, tens of millions, maybe, you know, at most hundreds, you know, I can't even imagine that. So invest in your people and it will pay off. And you could see it in real time uh, when you see the people really doing the work. And so I, I think companies need to rethink that. And I think it, they've had the short-term mentality, let's get that short-term ROI. It's really not about that. It's the long-term sustainability of your company. And that's where it comes. What happened to the old General Motors before Mario Barra took over? Why did they go into bankruptcy? Because their employees were not developed or trained, unlike German employees had the apprentice system, which was so fabulous. And they're really well-trained in new technologies. Uh, we failed to do that. That's why retailers like Sears Roebuck went out of business. So I think the companies that are committed to that are the ones that are going to flourish. 
Uh, and I would be willing to put a company invested heavily in its people up against one that didn't any day. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think let's, let's pivot a little bit so that, you know, we can kind of get into your, you know, most recent book, um, is this concept of true North, because I think that that has a lot to do with it. You know, a statement I often make is if, if a company has a, their true North is their customer, let's just hypothetically say, mm -hmm. right? Like that success, their experience, you know, the, what we were talking about earlier. And, and I'll say something like, okay, well, who is responsible for delivering on that promise of the true North? Mm -hmm. It's the employees, right? And so how do you set a true North? What does that mean to you? What, what took you down this path of nine books now with this centering of true North, which I am a huge fan of, but I would love to hear from you how do you identify that true north, communicate that true north, right? And then get everyone rallied around what that true north is, is expected to accomplish. Well, we learned through our research of 220 executives, we interviewed by average 75 minutes, what was really important to them. And that was uh, not, their not their characteristics. It was their beliefs, their values, and the principles they led by. And frankly, where they found joy and satisfaction in their work and fulfillment. And if every employee goes through that, that is their true north. And if they're working in a place where they find that, they're going to flourish. They're going to grow. They're going to create a community that people want to be a part of. Then the key as an executive or as a leader, can you get alignment between your employees' individual purposes and, their, uh, and the company's purpose? And so if the company's uh, true north or its purpose is to restore people to full life and health, like it was in Medtronic, or at a, a your bank like U.S. Bank, it's to ensure people's secure future, financial futures. If we really see it that way, now we're trying to make money off our clients. We're trying to make money for them. Uh, that then becomes a, a driving force. So we want to create products and make people's lives easier. That can be a real driving force. So I just think we need to get that alignment between our employees at all levels, not just at the top, but at all levels of the organization. And around that with the company's purpose, because that's the glue that holds people together. Even Sam Pomisano, the CEO of IBM, saw that. That's the glue. And that's where the trust is created. And we need trust. What's happened is in this post-COVID era, a lot of companies have lost sight of that. And that's why they're in trouble. That's why everyone's resigning or quitting. They don't feel any purpose for their work. Yeah. And, and usually what I get is We've lost sight of that true north. Yeah. Or somewhere along the line, right, we got distracted or we just, maybe there was a leadership turnover. What, whatever the reason, the sort of initial, maybe the founder, you know, understood the true north and understood the value. And then, you know, the founder steps aside and someone else comes in. And maybe that's the, the, the catalyst that makes that true north get a little more muddy or something happened, or they went public, or they did an M&A, like something happened right. that disrupted the true north. Um, what do you see when that happens? What, what, how companies can get back to, to their original true north? Well, first of all, let's look at why it happens. The number one reason it happens, I've studied hundreds of leadership transition. It happens because we chose the wrong leader. We tell that leader, you go in and fix the numbers in the short term. They'll fix them. That's not hard to do. I can assure you, I've done it. No, no, we know how to do that. But they lose their employees because all of a sudden, what you the company was founded on, what its beliefs were, you've abandoned that and you lose the trust with your employees. And that's that's what's really gone 
Uh, that's the air that's gone out of the balloon right now in real time. And that's what companies need to do to get it back. And stop looking at whether it's going to prove this quarter's earnings. Let's look at how we're going to build this company for the long term. Look more at market share, customer satisfaction, new product development. Look at employee uh, engagement scores. That'll give you an indication of how well we're uh, pursuing our mission and our values. And leaders need to be true to that. And if they don't, they have to go away. Uh, bad leaders, I'd love to get them all out of there. Well, wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all? Um, do you think that, oh, well, let me, let me say that differently. How often should you revisit that mission, value, true north kind of concept to make sure that you are um, aligned? Uh, is it every big decision you make, you look at that true north and you go, does it align, right? Does it get us closer to what that is? Is it once a quarter? Is it once a year? Is it at the offsite? You know, what, how, what's the discipline behind making sure that that stays as intended? That's a great question. It can't just be a plaque on the wall or a motto that everyone has. It's got to be translated into day-to-day action. Uh, Omar Ishrock, when uh, Medtronic made an acquisition of Covidium for, uh, you know, $40 billion in revenues, uh, you know, I'm not $40 billion, 40,000 employees, and, uh, you know, and for they paid 40-some billion plus. You know, he went down every point of the Medtronic mission and say, does this meet our mission if we acquire them? I think that's going to be applied every time you come out with a new product. Is it, and do people, and you need to continue talking about that. Like you sound like a broken record. Just keep talking and talking about it. the CEOs have spent a lot more time doing that and let uh, the CFO worry about the earnings per share, just get out and do that because that's how you're going to sustain your enterprise. And you're not going to wind up like Kodak or Sears Roebuck or somebody like that, where you're out of business or Kmart. You look at all these companies that are now defunct because they didn't, stay on that course and they lost sight of why they were in business in the first place. And I think each individual employee should, I'm guessing, um, I'm hoping you agree, understands how their role plays a part in that true north. Absolutely. I see myself in that true north. I see what I do every day has impact on our mission and values and whatever it might be. Like they have to see themselves through that. So Tiffany, the way we brought that home at Medtronic is we had an annual holiday party just in December, and we brought all the employees together. And then as the company became more global, you brought them together through, uh, you know, webcasting and on, uh, on your personal computers, uh, watching it live on Zoom. But we brought them together to hear from patients. Uh, and the doctors would come only introduce their patients. And they would tell about how a Medtronic could save, product could save their life. This became really impactful, not just to the people in the front lines working with doctors, but to the people in the IT department, in the accounting department, all the people that worked in production. They realized how important quality is. If that one heart valve fails, somebody may die. So I've got to make sure everything is perfect. And that's where you realize it's gone to one patient. It's not the million patients we treat every year. It's down to that one patient. Well, so what does it look like when leaders don't lead with a true north? It looks like Facebook, or Meta it's now called, or, uh, or Twitter right now. There's no sense of true north here. And so they're in mass chaos. And we, we've seen that time and time again. We have the ugly stories of the, the Lehman Brothers and the, and the Facebook sorts, uh, excuse me, and the Enrons. And we're just all about money. And uh, it's a tragedy. Because what happens is we get caught up in 
yet another charismatic leader who can promise the moon and then they crash and burn like this guy that's running FTX did with the crypto markets. Yeah, he was never really a leader. Uh, but we need to uh, not be seduced into thinking that, that, oh, this is going to be fantastic. I think too, much, too many times investors are seduced by the charismatic leader. We need competent leaders. We don't need business. People don't go to business school to be charismatic. Maybe they go into into TV or, or media to do that, but they don't go into business to do that. And you shouldn't choose people who are. You want people that are competent, uh, you know, that, that you wouldn't find exciting on TV. But boy, they know how to run an enterprise. And those are the kind of people like a Mary Barra at General Motors or like uh, Corey Berry at uh, who's running Best Buy now, succeeded Hubert Jolie, both fantastic leaders, but different era. Uh, Corey's had to adjust to a whole different era. First of all, she had to close down the stores because of COVID and transform the whole business model into uh, an omni-channel model. And look how well she has done. She's a fantastic leader, but she really was there to help her people. And they knew she cared about them. And when she had to furlough them, they, she knew, they knew she timed it to get their government uh, unemployment checks. So it's that kind of leader that we need to have today. And those are the companies that are going to do really well for the long term. Well, so let's go to my third bullish and bearish question, the leadership MBA, right? Because I, I don't have my MBA, so in full transparency, although now I speak at a Wharton or a Harvard or a Columbia or a USC or what, you know, in front of the MBA students um, about growth and, you know, marketing and sales and all the things uh, that we've been talking about now. And I, I wonder if there is something in the education of this next generation of leaders, right? Because you may say you've got an MBA class. I'm being extreme here. You've got an MBA class that's looking at, you know, the charismatic leader as the, I want to model myself after that. Cause look at what they get, you know, money, prestige, power, control, like whatever. Right. And versus, you know, are they paying attention to a Corey at Best Buy or a Mark Benioff at Salesforce or, you know, whomever it might be. Uh, and so is there something that could be rethought? And, and since you are, you know, a senior fellow at Harvard, do you sit down and have these conversations about what are the things we should be teaching and sort of sharing and exposing to the next generation of leaders? Yeah, you know more about leadership than 99% of the MBA people, the graduates. But yeah, we're teaching the wrong things. We're teaching business administration or management. We're teaching uh, accounting and spreadsheets and financial uh, engineering. Uh, that's not innovation. And we're teaching all the wrong things, process controls. And uh, I, I think we need to get a, to teaching leadership. We need to develop leaders. This is a totally different thing and how leaders are developed. And they need to learn by doing. We need to get people into the workforce, let them have internships while they're studying to get out into the real world and figure out what's going on to work for real companies, not as a consultant or not as a, an, an evaluator of companies for a financial uh, firm, but really to be out there in the real world and figure out what's going on and see the examples that you've cited. Mark Benioff's a fantastic leader. Watch him up close and personal. How does he operate? And uh, you'll see it on the front lines of Salesforce. You don't have to go meet Mark. You can see it there. You can see it at Best Buy store about Corey. So that's what's key is, uh, is 
getting out into the real world and having internships. I'm not sure how they see the MBA program be kind of in and out of the workplace. And then you learn some of these new ideas and you hear from leaders. They come into the classroom and they told you and you can assess what they're doing. But get away from all this charisma and uh, focus on what it means to be a real leader. Well, I think that, um, you know, I often get asked by executives of, you know, mid-size, could be small, could be, you know, Fortune 50 companies, and they'll, they're, they may be stuck. I'm stuck, or, you know, we're trying to figure this out, or seeing growth softening, or we're in a, you know, full growth stall. What do you think we should do? And, and you know, in my previous life, um, I was a research fellow at Gartner for a decade, and I used to advise a lot of the very large tech companies on, on how to grow. And I used to answer that question right away with, with very, almost very little thought, like, here are the three things I think you should do. And I think I was actually doing a disservice. Um, now looking back the last seven years of me doing that, I, I changed my talk track, if you will. And I started saying, I don't know what do your customers say and what do your employees say? Right. And then very quickly, I realized they have no idea. They have no idea outside of a net promoter score dashboard they see, or, you know, what does the attrition or recruitment pipeline look like? Or, you know, they just are very disconnected from those things that you were just talking about, right? Because they manage in the four walls of a, of a spreadsheet or, you know, a, a cloud app in, in, in our case, but, you know, why do you think they're so afraid? I, I use that as a very specific word to get out and talk to customers or to get out and talk to employees. What, what do you think is their, I guess, uh, you know, um, resistance to doing that? That's because we're measuring the wrong things. We're sitting around looking for some uh, analytical tool that would give us the answer, like net promoter score. Let's get out and talk to the real people. Let me give you an example. You mentioned earlier Hubert Jolie. When when he joined uh, Best Buy as CEO, the place was falling apart. He didn't go to the headquarters to look at the numbers and pour over spreadsheets. He went up to a mid-sized town, St. Cloud, Minnesota, and visited six stores and spent a whole week there. And he talked to customers, even wore a badge, said CEO in training, wore the famous blue shirt. He talked to customers. He talked to employees. And that night he'd go out to dinner with the managers. And he said, I learned everything in that first week that I needed to do to turn Best Buy around. Now I could come back and put plans together. Why doesn't everyone do that? That's where the action, Mary Barra, General Motors, I mentioned earlier, she's been there 41 years. You know, she started on the production lines, okay? And then she became an inspector. And then she became a first line engineer. So she knows the first line. She can go into General Motors and talk to all the employees because she knows what they're working on. And she does all the time. That's where she spends her time. I had a nice note from her the other day saying, you're absolutely right. We need to get out there and spend time with our people. And uh, that we've got this separation between executives and the people doing the work. And we found in COVID, it was the people doing the work that saved us. Well, Bill, I could talk to you for another couple of hours because this has been just so wonderful. But I want to make sure I give a plug for your latest book, uh, Emerging Leaders Edition, which is part of his True North series. And I think there's a total of nine books, including this one at this point. So if you want to start reading from the first one <laughs> all the way to the latest, you will have kind of everything that you need. So if you wouldn't mind maybe imparting us with some of your wisdom on 
the future leaders, right? The future of leadership. What what do you think that that looks like and what should people focus on? Well, I wrote the Emerging Leader Edition of True North for the future leaders because I think baby boomers have had their day, 30 years on top and uh, with command and control leadership. And we need to move to authentic leadership. And that's why I'm very hopeful for the new generation of Gen Xers, millennials, and Gen Z. And that's, and these leaders need to become more like coaches than they do directors and coach their employees how to be good leaders. They need to be inclusive leaders. It's not just about diversity. In many cases, we have diversity, but there is no inclusive. There's no sense of belonging. They need to create that in the workplace. So the externals, race, religion, national origin, sexual identity, gender are not what's important. You have diverse people. You need to make sure everyone feels included and fully uh, has a sense of belonging. And leaders today need to know how to lead in crisis. We're dealing with multiple intersecting crises today. And if you haven't led in a crisis, so I tell leaders, get out and take on something that's in crisis and lead that, a business, a geography, whatever it is, that's how you really learn to lead because that's how you learn to be adaptable. You don't have a 10-year strategic plan that's going to help you. And then final, I think most of all, I think, Tiffany, we need moral leaders, moral leaders that are true to their value, to their sense of purpose, are led by a moral compass and, uh, and have a deep sense of purpose to make this world a better place, not just for themselves and the people on top, but for everyone. Well, Bill, this has just been such a pleasure. I, I've so enjoyed having you on this episode of the What's Next podcast. Um, how can people keep in touch with you and continue to follow your amazing work? I have a website, BillGeorge.org. You can follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to have more followers there. And uh, and please read the book because I think the book has uh, tremendous stories of 75 leaders that you can learn a great deal from them with their direct quotes and also a series of exercises to go with it. Well, amazing. Well, thank you so much, Bill. Thank you, Tiffany, having me on. Just a fabulous show you have.